After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and go into the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good morning. Uh, good morning, saints. Uh, Christ is risen. Uh, welcome to Christ City Church. My name is uh, Matthew Watson. I actually have the honor of serving as the pastor of this rowdy bunch here uh, called Christ City Church. And on behalf of the staff and elders, we're really thrilled that you're here to celebrate uh, this day with us, especially uh, this day when we celebrate that Jesus has risen from the grave. And so let me just say again, Christ is risen. Is risen. One more time. Christ is risen. This, so you guys know, you're familiar with this call and response. Um, it's actually, what we're saying is an ancient greeting. It's actually uh, originated in the Greek language, and it's been handed down through the generations, and it's been translated into every language in which there's a church. It's uh, often referred to as the Paschal greeting, which is Latin. It just means an Easter greeting. But even the word Paschal actually is handed down to us from Hebrew origins. It comes from the word Pasha which is Passover, which reminds us of when uh, God led uh, Israel into freedom out of slavery in Egypt. And so the call and response is uh, this Paschal greeting. It's a reminder of us wherein we remember our own um, liberation from freedom. When it, we remember that Christ is risen and because he is risen, that we, are, that we too are freed. And so that's what's rooted in this greeting when we say Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. So even though we say it and we celebrate it, there's weight and depth for us because Jesus is risen. We too are free now. So let me say it again. Christ is risen. Amen. This ancient greeting, it actually has its beginnings in Matthew 28, the passage that was read earlier. What's being described in Matthew 28 is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus was crucified on the cross. He was uh, uh, killed by Roman soldiers at the uh, pressure from Jewish leaders of the day. And then he was buried into a tomb just outside the wall that surrounds Jerusalem. So the verse picks up in verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to the tomb. I don't know if you've ever wondered, why is it that Christians... Like, why do we worship on Sunday? Like, Tuesday's not a bad day. Thursday, you know, sort of over past, you know, hump day. Like, maybe Thursday would be fine. The, the origins of our worship on Sunday is rooted in this story of what happens in 
Matthew 28 and verse 1, two women named Mary, uh, two women who were prominent disciples of Jesus, who followed Jesus from his days in Galilee, who ministered along with Jesus, who served with him. These two women who were with Jesus uh, when the majority of the disciples had either denied him or abandoned him, the women were there. It was these women that then uh, returned to the tomb. They go to the tomb where they had just been, just two days prior on Friday, where they had uh, been the first ones to lay their uh, beloved into the grave. The Jewish Sabbath, though, it begins on Friday night at sundown, and it lasts until Saturday at sundown, which meant for these first Christians who were Jewish background hearers of the story, for them, the first day of the week would have been Sunday. So these two women, after laying Jesus in the tomb on Friday, observed the Sabbath, and their first opportunity to return back to the tomb would have been on Sunday. So the women head out. That first thing, Sunday morning, they make their way to the tomb, and they discover that Jesus has been raised from the dead. We'll get to that part of the story in, the moment, in a moment. But what they learn is that Jesus is alive and that he's been raised to life. And this is why Christians from the earliest days begin worshiping on Sunday. Because it was the day of the week of Jesus' resurrection. In many respects, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is when we gather to remember what Jesus has done. Every Sunday is one in which the church remembers Christ's sacrifice on the cross and His resurrection from the tomb and the trigger point by which God is renewing all things. Whereas the Jewish Sabbath was instituted to remember when God rested after creating the world and making all things good, the Christian Sabbath reminds us of Christ's resurrection and the work of making all things new. Whereas the first Sabbath was a celebration of God making all things, the second Sabbath is a celebration of God renewing all things through Christ. And so we as followers of Jesus, we too, we gather to remember and to rest in anticipation of when God fully and finally makes all things new. It is in this cadence of remembering that our God is a God of resurrection, a, a God of grace, a God of second chances. That's what brings us here today to say to one another that Christ has risen. That was your cue. Perfect. Keep up now. <laughs> Our two heroines, uh, the Mary and Mary Magdalene, they arrive at the tomb on the first Easter morning. And what they find is quite a remarkable scene. Uh, in other Gospels, we learn that the women, they're, they're actually headed to the tomb and they're carrying with them uh, spices that they want to continue to anoint Jesus' body with. But they're not sure how they're actually going to get into the tomb. But when they get there, they see that an angel has actually arrived at the gravesite, and he has created a mess of things. Uh, verse uh, 2, there was a violent earthquake. That's, you know, point one. Great. Perfect. Uh, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. He goes to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and then sat on it. Don't know if he was tired, just waiting. He's like, let me move this. I'll wait here. The Marys are coming. Then his appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and then became like dead men. First thing, the angel shows up and he rolls the stone away. Now, I think for some of us, when we think of this, we actually think that, okay, the angel rolled the stone away so that he could let Jesus out. The thing is, if you just sort of walk that through, we realize sort of the absurdity of that understanding. 
as though Jesus in His power and majesty, though laid in the tomb, had become reanimated in His body by the power of God, though He was dead, now He's raised, the Messiah raised to new life so that He could alert the world of the resurrection power that's now available to everyone by faith, but He couldn't get out because there's a rock there. He's like, ah, I'm just stuck in here. Like, where's the angel? No, friends, when the angel arrives, he rolls the stone away. But Jesus wasn't there. He already left. Christ was raised from the dead and he was raised from the tomb. Jesus wasn't alive in the tomb awaiting release. That would be quite a tragic story, would it not? When Jesus was raised from death to life and from the grave to the light of day, Jesus didn't just remain in the place where dead things are to stay. That wouldn't be anything to celebrate at all. But the hard reality is, is that for some of us that we find ourselves in that place, do we not? That, that we're alive, yes, but that we find ourselves remaining in tombs. We've been made alive in Christ, that we've found salvation, that we have found freedom that is offered from the one who truly saves. And yet, rather than walking in the light that is life in Christ, we remain in tombs as though stones block our way. Friends, what Resurrection Sunday reminds us of is that when Jesus rescues us, he not only brings us to life, but he offers us freedom. That's why the stone was moved, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in so that we might see the fullness of life that Jesus offers. Jesus doesn't just save me because I'm judgmental. He doesn't just free me uh, uh, because I'm uh, uh, greedy. He actually frees me from judgmentalism. He frees me from being greedy. He doesn't just save me because I'm a control freak or I'm impatient or I make an idol out of comfort. He actually frees me from that which locked me in that place in the first place. He doesn't just bring me to life, but he frees me. There's a double tragedy that takes place when I know that I've been rescued and freed and yet continue to return to the same life-stealing place and the same withering habits that had me changed, chained in the first place. It's like being raised to new life, yet living as though there's still a stone in my way. Church, the stone is rolled away. New life is offered. New living is offered because he is risen. Oh, you guys are good. <laughs> the angel doesn't just roll the stone away, though. He freaks out the guards. I'm sure there's a better way to say that, but self-disclosure, by the way, uh, I am, um, I am I'm scared of heights. Uh, and I actually, I think that my fear of heights is getting worse the older I get, um, which at this rate, I'm going to like want to live in my basement by 2020 so that I'm not, you know, anywhere. I don't have to go upstairs. Um, we, it's, you guys know we set up um, sort of we set up this room every week. It's a cafeteria. We transform it into a sanctuary. And um, one of our uh, guys on our setup crew, Albert and I, we were setting up that light back there. So when you lift up the pole, you got to get on a stepladder. So I lifted up the pole and I, and I set out the stepladder and Albert and I were looking at one another and Albert looks at me and goes, I'm scared of heights. And I look at him and I go, me too. And we looked at the pole and walked away. So, well, let somebody else do this. 
I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm scared of, of heights. Now, uh, second disclosure, one of my ridiculous and embarrassing forms of time wasting is watching YouTube videos of other people that are also scared of heights. I feel like it's a form of <laughs> like therapy for me. And one of my all-time favorites is to watch people that are on a ride called the slingshot. Anybody, you guys know? Well, it's like a capsule. People sit in the capsule, and it's attached to do two bungee cords that are on two giant towers. And then they pull the thing back like a slingshot, and then they just send it out into the cosmos. And then there's a camera filming people on this ride as they freak out. And so, like, I'll just spend time watching people on this ride losing their stuff as they're being launched out of the slingshot. So, uh, and what's crazy about it, I think there's some images of it. What's crazy about this is that people, when they get slung-shotted into it, some people will get so scared, they'll, like, scream, and then they'll pass out. And some people, they get so scared, they'll scream and pass out, wake back up, see that they're still slingshotting, scream again, pass back out again. Like, I watched one guy pass out four different times. The ride's not that long. But this is, and this is like, it makes me feel better. I'm like, I don't know if I'd pass out or not. I'd probably pass out, like, in the line, waiting to get on the, the deal. And some people, they pass out, wake up, and then play it cool, like, oh, man, that wasn't so bad. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? You just woke up. When I read about the guards seeing the angels and then shaking and becoming like dead men, I immediately thought of the slingshot. Now, I don't know how you imagine the scene at the tomb, but then when, when I imagine it, I just imagine the women sort of coming up to the tomb and seeing this, and they're just like, oh my word. What has happened here? The stones rolled away, passed out Roman guards, a bewildered angel. It's like, what's wrong with these guys? Happy Easter. <laughs> the first thing that the angel says to the women, maybe he learned his lesson with the guards, but the first thing he says to the women is, don't be afraid. <laughs> Please, don't. I have something else to tell you. Don't be afraid. The angel said to the women, verse 5, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. But he's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell the disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you in Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I've told you. The angel comforts the women and tells them not to be afraid. The two Marys, they arrive at the tomb with fear. Not fear at seeing the angel, though, which is certainly startling. They had fear because the Messiah had been killed, and they were the ones that placed him in the tomb. The one on whom hung their hopes, their hopes for their own lives, their, their hopes for their country, their hopes for their world, their, their hopes for faith. All of that was brutally murdered, and they were the ones left to bury him. And the aftermath of this traumatic tragedy for them was fear. Fear just washed over them. And the root of their fear was this increasing belief that perhaps God isn't actually in control. Before, because of the chaos that had just kicked in the door of their lives, the women were filled with fear. And maybe, just maybe, God is weaker than we imagined him to be. And into the fear steps this messenger who says to them, Do not be afraid. This scene, by the way, it isn't just for the Marys at the tomb. It's for any of us who have stood at the precipice of a grave site, 
fearing to look in lest we are faced with the aftermath of a death and a loss, lest we find ourselves on the wrong side of our own tombs with stones that can't be moved. For it's in those moments that the sinister thought seeds that maybe God isn't in control begin to take root. And maybe Jesus isn't really raised. Maybe he's still dead. And what grows in its place is fear. You know, one of the most common things that God says throughout the Bible to his children is, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Over and over in the Old Testament and then again in the New, there is this repetition of God's reassurance to us that we need not fear because he is still and always in control. In Deuteronomy, in the earliest parts of the Bible, the Word of God says, Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. In Joshua, again, he echoes it, Be strong and courageous, do not be terrified. Isaiah 43, But now, this is what the Lord says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Psalm 23, which we know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, the psalmist says. Again, Psalm 27, a song that we sing here at Christ City. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then in the New Testament, John, peace is what I leave with you, Jesus says. It's my own peace that I give you. Do not be afraid. 2 Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And then at the end of the story, in Revelation 1, then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. Over and over throughout the scriptures, God is saying to us, Do not be afraid, but do not fear isn't the only thing that the angel says to the women. It was what's next that has the fear dismantling power in it. Verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. The reason that the angel could reassure the women, the, the reason that he could say to them, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to worry about Jesus' death or wonder if God has lost control. The reason is because he is not here. He is raised from the dead. This is why you need not fear. In all of the passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament where God exhorts his children to not fear, the reason he gives for why we need not fear is because he is with them. Over and over you, I am with you. He gives the assurance of his presence and that is what drives out fear. The reminder that he is with us, that he is on the scene, that he is with us in the midst of the day and the night. He is the antidote to fear. When I'm afraid about one thing or another, God's response is, do not fear. And I might respond, why not? It's a scary world out there. And he would say, I'm with you. In our house, we, we have a finished basement. It's where our uh, washing machine, our dryer are. So we've been in this process of teaching our kids how to do their laundry. Because they need to learn how to do their laundry. <laughs> Can't be running up and down stairs washing these kids' clothes all the time, and every single time, they never want to go by themselves. Not because they don't want to do laundry, which I'm sure they don't want to do laundry, but, you know, it's, it's, 
it's kind of dark down there until you get all the floor lamps up and the steps down to the basement are kind of narrow. And I mean, honestly, I get it. I, I like, I get it. But we're not letting them off the hook. We're like, no, you got to go. And so what um, they have done is that they never go alone. So it doesn't matter if it's our youngest, our six-year-old, if it's our oldest, 12-year-old, whoever, they, they, they go in pairs. Or it, better yet, they'll go in trios, like all of them, everybody. That's all, all of our lawn, just one laundry train going down uh, the deal because uh, they aren't alone. They fear not because they have the presence of someone else with them. What God is saying is you don't have to fear because God himself is with you. What the angel is saying is you don't have to fear. Christ isn't dead. He's alive. And now we know that Christ's presence because of the resurrection and by faith in the resurrected one, that Christ's presence is in us. And the angel's message to the women is do not fear. Jesus isn't dead. And the women's fear evaporate in the light of the good news. This gospel that Jesus has risen, it exiles the fear that was in their lives because Christ is raised. All of the things that we might fear find their match in the resurrection. All fear melts under the weight of the resurrection. But what the resurrection announces is that death and the terrible fruit that death produces, it never has the last word. Night doesn't last forever. Sorrow does have an ending. Tears will be dried because he is risen. That's it. Failed businesses doesn't mean a failed future. Lost loved ones don't mean that they're lost forever. Failed relationship doesn't mean that love has failed you. Whatever is broken in the world or lost in the fire will one day be mended and made new. So yes, there are tears, but it doesn't have the last word. Jesus' resurrection assures us of the hope, and it ensures us that Jesus isn't in the grave, but that his life is available to us by faith. His spirit dwells in us because his body is not dwelling in a grave. After telling the Marys to not be afraid that Jesus is risen, the angel then gives the two Marys some instructions. Verse uh, 7. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Now I've told you. I don't know why he says, now I've told you. Like, that's like, that is all. Like, I don't know if that's angel speak for something. We can ask him when we get there. The angel tells the women to go and deliver this message of, of good news to the other disciples, that, uh, to tell them the story of Christ's resurrection. And this message, it, it, it just, it was, it was so explosive that it couldn't and it wouldn't be contained just there with the angel and the two Marys. The thing is that while the women were receiving the news, though, the, the other disciples, they were still in their sorrow still unaware that Jesus had risen, still unaware that the Roman soldiers had fallen out, out of fright. They were unaware that the course of human history had just taken a most beautiful turn, though Jesus, they thought Jesus was still in the grave because it can take time for good news to spread. I read an article recently in the Smithsonian Magazine where they were reporting, researchers were reporting on the spread of emotions 
across online platforms. And what they found was uh, that emotions can spread at different uh, rates. People find common cause with uh, emotional connection of joy or anger. But what they found was that disgust and anger actually travel quite rapidly. The emotion of disgust is actually supercharged and it spreads across online platforms with amazing speed. Anger too. Anger actually outpaced all other emotions save for one uh, in online proliferation. As anger is spread across social media, it, it triggers uh, chain reactions of other anger. One professor from uh, Wharton Business School at the University of Pennsylvania, he notes that anger is a high arousal emotion which drives people to take action. He goes on to say, it makes you feel fired up, what makes you then more likely to pass it on. But the one emotion among them all that outpaced even anger was awe. The Smithsonian reporter writing on these findings defined awe as that feeling of wonder and excitement that comes from encountering great beauty or great knowledge. Awe. These two women who shared a name stood in front of a tomb that just a couple of days prior they had laid the tattered body of their loved one, but now it was empty. Awe. These women were now talking to an angel so striking that Roman soldiers passed out in front of him. Awe. These women are now being told that their Messiah is not dead, but he's alive. Awe. And finally, they are told to go and tell others about this great good news. Awe spreads fast, but it still requires a messenger to share it. Friends, I, I'm no angel. <laughs> but I am a messenger. I do have a message. And that message is the same as the angel's. Don't be afraid. He is risen. Go and tell somebody. Let me pray for us. As I pray, I want to invite the band and the choir to come on up. Holy One, risen One, saving One, resurrected One, beautiful One. I thank You for the power that is rooted in this story. God, I pray that as we hear this good news that Christ is risen, that there is a place to, to lay our fears and that what emerges from that is joy and awe. I pray that this, that this day, this, this day in which we celebrate the resurrection, God, that it would stir our hearts and our affections, it would stir our souls towards you, and that we could be reminded that you are a God of resurrections, that you are a God of second chances, that you are a God who is at work to redeem and renew all things. Pray these things in Christ's name.
The passage then concludes in a parallel fashion as how it began. Verse 8, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then verse 10, then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. They will see me. God knew that we needed more than just a gospel message. He knew that we needed a gospel incarnated. He knew that we need to not only hear about Jesus, but we actually needed to experience him ourselves. And so sometimes your sorrow is so deep, the pain is so real, the disappointment so staggering uh, that you actually need the presence of Christ, the nearness of Christ in your life. And sometimes our awe is so astounding, the news is so remarkable, the turnaround so uh, dramatic that we want nothing more than to fall at the feet of Jesus and worship. And so these women, these first preachers of Christ's resurrection, they meet us in the running to tell the message and they fall at his feet and they worship him. And so Jesus says the same thing to them that the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm risen. He didn't say I was risen. He said greetings, which I think is the same thing, man. But he said, don't be afraid. I'm risen. Go and tell others. So as we continue to worship, the invitation for you and to me this Easter is the same. To shed our fears and to delight in the awe of the resurrected Christ. And to share this news with someone, whoever that might be, that needs to hear this good news. That they don't need to be afraid. That Christ has overcome death and that he is alive. And that is good news.